This is Tending Seeds, and I'm your host, Sarah, talking to you about homesteading, gardening, and herbalism. Hey, friends. Hope you have had a great holiday. We're recording the day after with full bellies and uh, a lot of extra sleep, which was super nice. So you may have noticed on social media, we have been working on the rebrand for our farm and our herbal business. We've been moving things over from Fox and Elder over to our new name, which is Nordic Fox Farm. Part of the reason for this was that Mike is part of the business. And before this has been kind of a one, one, one woman show for me for the last like six or seven years. And we wanted something that would kind of encompass both of us being involved in the business and pouring so much of our energy and attention into this. Also, we're kind of shifting around what we're offering through the farm as well. So we'll still have all of our great herbal products and we're still expanding that line as well. So no worries, that's not going anywhere, but we're shifting over and including a lot more culinary products. Mike and I both love to cook. It's something we're really passionate about. And I believe getting herbs into our lives every day, every time we eat, is one of the best things that we can do for ourselves to stay connected to the plants and also just for our overall health. So making more of a culinary line just really made sense for us. So we've been kind of rolling out some of our seasoning blends, things like Italian seasoning, herbs de Provence, our pumpkin pie spice seasoning, which was great for this time of year. Um, We just, at our first holiday market of the season, rolled out our smoked jalapeno salt that Mike came up with. And it's not on the website because it sold out, which is awesome. And we're already working on some new batches to try to restock that. And we're also going to be adding different home goods and things that we're making from wood from our land. Um, We're both really artistic and creative. We're both, you know, also tattoo artists, as you guys know. And so just getting able, being able to create things that fall under our business umbrella to be able to offer you things from our homestead is something we've been really wanting to do. So Nordic Fox Farm, if you follow us on social media as Fox and Elder, you don't have to do anything there. It's already switched over. But if you haven't been following us, this is a great time to go find us. Our website is still in process. So for right now, foxandelder.com is still up and working. And that's where you can find our offerings currently including our winter solstice box. So this is our last quarterly box for the year. Lots of great things in that, including elderberry syrup, our all systems go tincture, which is great if you've been exposed to people that are sick or starting to feel run down. And of course, our winter wellness tea, which is like our most popular tea all year long. Uh, We drink it even iced in the summer. So that quarterly box will ship in time to get it for the winter solstice or Yule or Christmas or whatever seasonal holiday you celebrate makes for a great gift as well. But today, enough about all that, I brought Mike back on the show um, because we want to do an episode to talk about tools for your homestead. So this is something I've covered a little bit in the past, but it was a few years ago now and was mostly focused on gardening tools. So today we want to talk really about tools for your homestead, tools for getting projects and things done, And I felt like Mike was just obviously the go-to person to bring on for that since he's doing the bulk of that work for us. And he has so much experience uh, to share and offer. So hi, Mike. Thanks for coming back on the show. Hello. Thank you for having (laughs) me. And I'd like to just uh, go back. You said that Fox and Elder was a one-woman operation or something like that. And Nordic Fox Farm is now both of us. But it's still a one-woman operation. Uh, operation because there's a lot of things you can do that I can't do. True, but so, you bring a lot to it. So I mean, I'm willing to try, right? And I and I think that we're all capable of equal being able to do all the same stuff, which lends us into this tool category really well because I've met a lot of women that are amazing carpenters or amazing metal fabricators and welders, and I've met a lot of men that aren't and can't and I really think it comes down to how willing are you to just learn and actually dive in and practice and and really just learn the craft or the trade so um, it's not about gender at all and I think we're all pretty equal in most cases if you want to be so Yeah, I totally agree. And one of the things I've always told Mike, because I don't have the background with tools and fabrication and welding and everything that he does, is I want to know how to use 
everything that we have, everything in the shop or the shop that will be built soon. Um, <laughs> every, you know, I don't want a single thing on the property, any piece of machinery to be something I don't feel comfortable using on my own at some point. And I, I think that's really important. And, uh, you know, we joke with friends and even another rancher that we're friends with that, you know, if you don't know how to use something, there's always YouTube, which is a great resource. But I say, now I have a mic, so I don't even need YouTube anymore. Right. There you go. <laughs> I, I, I love like, I, I think back, was it a year, almost two years ago when we were building the sawmill, we were, we were making some additional uh, modifications or, or thing, changes to it that I wanted to make. And I was like, come on over to the shop with me and help me. And so I showed you how to get the Bridgeport manual mill all set up to set the feeds and speeds and the stops and, and all that. And we did a little video on social media and you ran the Bridgeport and you drilled and countersunk and chamfered all the holes that I needed done. And yeah. it was awesome. It was fun. Yeah, it was really fun. And I can't wait to get that mill out here from Tennessee because I want to make a whole bunch of stuff. So, Yeah. So for today, though, talking about tools for the homestead, um, we're going to kind of break this down into categories um, for what type of tools you might be using. And we're going to start with like the basic basic, um, because especially if you're off grid, you might be more focused on just wanting to work with hand tools, things that don't need power to run them. Um, because if you're living off grid like we are, then we know power is a valuable resource. And so sometimes it's easier to go as low tech as possible. So Thinking about that, Mike, if we just to focus on just hand tools to start with, what are some of the basics that you would tell people and encourage people to get? So um, I would like to go back in time a little bit and talk about a little bit about my experience and background. And hand tools is a great time to do that because that's where it all started for me. As far back as I can remember my earliest memories spending the summers with my grandparents my grandfather had in my mind the biggest most amazing workshop that ever existed i'm sure like if i were to see it today it was probably pretty tiny but i remember it being huge and he had every single imaginable hand tool and power tool available and i loved going in there and i could pick anything up and just start tinkering and making things he never once told me no or you're not allowed to or stay out of there or you are i he never even required an adult to be present which maybe could be dangerous and could be bad but um what i think that led to is is him his complete total freedom of just saying, here's my workshop, do whatever you want to do, make whatever you want to make, really led to me finding my passion for for making things and creating things and building things because I was never restricted or held back. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting, but it could have been dangerous, but it wasn't. I mean, I know that I got cuts and bruises and things like that more as an adult than I did as a child. The cool thing is that when I was out there and I was doing something, he would always come out with me. He would always just come out a little bit later. And, and instead of just, you know, uh, sitting in his, his bark lounger, you know, watching TV or whatever, he would definitely put down whatever he was doing and come over and help me and teach me. So, um, I think back to my grandfather teaching me how to use tools and that's really, what's inspired me and what I love so much about teaching other people about making things and tools. So as far back as I can remember using hand tools and then power tools growing up all the way through middle school and high school and, um, and in, into being a young adult, being an inventor, a maker, and um, into adult business um, where I used to own a manufacturing company before Sarah and I met and I have several patents and yeah, so that's kind of my background in tools. Yeah. So I would say as an adult in my adult career, my adult life, I consider myself a machinist or a metal fabricator by trade. That's that's what I did to make, make a living to pay the bills. That's what I'm most proficient at and most experienced with. In high school, I started summers working on a construction crew framing houses and then um, building big custom houses and doing big custom remodels in Seattle. And, you know, if you, you think back to the, the mid nineties, 
when the height of of Microsoft and the grunge era, I was really blessed and, and lucky to be exposed to some pretty amazing people and build some really amazing, cool structures and stuff like that on people's houses that are, you know, pretty, pretty famous people now, I guess. Um, so that was a great experience. And then after high school, I continued doing commercial construction, moved into doing uh, building um, restaurants and strip malls and things like that still as a carpenter. So I was working with more metal than wood, but still wood. So a commercial carpenter does steel framing and that kind of stuff, building hotels, multi-story hotels. So, um, so that's my experience after high school. And then I bounced around a little bit here and there, not sure what I want to do, fell into a completely different career that I did for quite a while that I never loved, never liked, not even involved in construction, but my mind wouldn't stop thinking about these products I want to design or develop. And so then I did that. And then I uh, went out to get my first patent on a product that I designed, tried getting people to manufacture it for me, couldn't get anybody to manufacture it for me. So then I decided I needed to manufacture it myself. So that's when I got into manufacturing. And that's when I started my career as a machinist and a metal fabricator. Um, and even going back as a kid, I, I would, my dad is, and my grandfather both were welders. And so I would be with them hanging out and they'd be welding, making, they made trailers on the weekends or during this and would sell these trailers. So, um, I learned a lot about welding even as a kid. And I guess so, to, to sum it all up, I grew up around tools. I always had tools and I grew up around them. So hand tools being the most basic and where I started. So if I had to say, and it, so I'm, you're asking me a question, hand tools. Right. So for homesteaders, what, you know, what would be the starter kind of hand tools that you think are like the most essential for homesteaders to have in their toolbox? Okay. If someone's building out like a brand new toolbox from, from scratch here. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's a great, great, great question. And it, it could seem pretty intuitive or pretty straightforward, simple question to ask, or, or like, why would you even ask that question? But we meet and have met a lot of people that are trying to homestead or trying to move towards that off grid or towards the homestead. And they don't have some of these basic tools that in my mind, it's like, you, you got to have this. Okay. So uh, the obvious ones is you got to have a tape measure. Everybody knows that. Um, and you got to have a hammer and you got to have, um, some kind of saw to cut wood with, and you got to have some basic screwdrivers, but but I want to get like really more nitty gritty with some of these hand tools. So a good tape measure, for example, um, a good tape measure can last you years, a long time, unless you completely abuse it or you just lose it. Um, but a good quality tape measure can last you forever. A cheap, cheap junk tape measure isn't going to last you very long. It could break on you in the middle of a project when you're 30, 40 minutes away from any where to buy another one and really kind of ruin your whole day and project. So the difference between a cheap tape measure might be $12 or $13 to a good tape measure at $20. And I know money is important and we're all on a budget, but spend the extra five bucks and buy a really good tape measure. Right. A good that'll quality you that'll last you forever. Buy a 25-foot tape measure. Never buy a 30-foot tape measure. How come? See that? Nobody ever asked me that, and you asked me that. So the difference between a 25-foot tape measure and a 30-foot tape measure, the only difference is the case is the exact same size, but the metal that the tape measure is made out of, they make it thinner so they can fit more of it in that case to get you that extra five feet. Okay. So that metal is thinner, and it will break on you in half the amount of lifespan. Okay. So you'll I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. So you'll spend even more money thinking I'm getting a better deal because I'm getting an extra five feet on a tape measure, but it lasts you half as long. And how often do you really need that extra five feet? You don't need it. All you can measure out 20 feet mark, then measure out 10 feet mark. And there's your 30 foot. You don't need that extra five feet. And I promise you that tape measure will break in half the amount of time. So don't waste your money on a 30 foot tape measure. Okay. So materials is the issue. Okay. Yeah. The quality, it's the quality of material that they use to, 
fit it in there. Okay. okay. So buy yourself a good quality 25 foot tape measure, uh, you know, Stanley, DeWalt, uh, Milwaukee, uh, you know, there's a lot of good brands out there nowadays. Just stay away from, I would say, the big box grocery stores that sell tape measures mm-hmm. in the back of the store with their very limited s- s- and, and they do sell some good stuff back there, but it that tape measure is not going to last you nearly as long. Okay, I've I've beaten that to death. Let's move on to hammers. There's lots of different types of hammers. One hammer is not going to do everything you need to do, but you could find one hammer that could do almost everything you need to do. So I would say if you have one hammer, start off with a good middleweight framing hammer. Okay. When I say middleweight, meaning it's not a 25 ounce hammer, um, meaning the weight of the head of the hammer, but it's not a 15 ounce hammer. It's like right in the middle. When you go to the Home Depot or the Lowe's or the True Value Ace Hardware and you're looking at the hammers, find the framing hammers and find one in the middle that's a decent weight, but it's not the heaviest one. It's not the lightest one. Okay. The, The benefit is the heavier it is, the easier it's going to be to drive nails. But you're going to fatigue faster. You're going to come up with, you're going to develop a sore elbow and sore shoulder, especially if you don't do it all day, every day. If you have too light of a hammer, you're going to be swinging twice as hard, twice as much to drive a 16 penny framing nail. So get a middle of the road one, one that it'll drive good nails and it doesn't take a lot of energy and effort, but it's not too heavy for you to carry around a pack around all day. If you do it all day, every day, if you're a full time framer, then you can get a good heavyweight hammer. And, and it's no big deal. <clears throat> what so. about other hammers I've seen? So I've seen, you know, mallets. I've seen uh, ball-peen hammers. Mm-hmm. Are these things homesteaders yeah. need? Or? Yeah, they are. But let's start out with the basics. Okay. So that framing hammer, you'll notice the claw on a framing hammer sticks out fairly straight and is long from the handle. As where an old school hammer or a not framing hammer, the claw on it really curves hard, almost makes like a 90 degree bend and it's really short. That's not the type of hammer you want to get. You want to get the framing hammer. It's got the longer, straighter claw. That claw is going to allow you to do a lot more things with it other than just pull nails. So having a framing hammer is going to allow you to build and do a lot more than a finished nailer. And be, you could still do finish nailing with a framing hammer. You just got to be a little bit more gentle and not swing really hard because you don't want to damage the wood. But if you get a finish nailing hammer, you can't frame a wall with it very easily. You probably could, but it'll take you a long time and it'll be frustrating. A ball peen hammer doesn't have a claw on it, so you're not able to pry, bend, move, pull nails, those kind of things. So, And the claw on the hammer, like I said, it's very diverse diverse you could do so many things with it like um moving lumber and and twist taking twists out of lumber is it's not just for pulling nails the mallet same thing um there's wood mallets there's plastic mallets there's metal mallets and they all have different purposes i would say stay away from all of that to start off with you're building your first homestead kit just get a good medium weight framing hammer and the, the key is when you if you go to the, the hardware store and you ask I'm looking for a framing hammer. They're going to point you right to the framing hammers. So you're not going to have to find those other claw hammers and be confused. Just look for framing hammers. Stay away from mallets and all that stuff for now. We'll get into that later. Okay. You mentioned a saw. Yeah. So a good hand saw. There's lots of different saws out there. But just find yourself a good cross-cut um, hand saw. The It's hard to describe verbally without using uh, visual references. But if you imagine the old, your, your, your grandparents' old saws they had hanging up, the, the handle was more vertical up and down and it was fully a full, the handle went all the way around as wood and the blade started out like six, eight inches wide at the handle and then tapered down to like two, three inches. So not quite a wedge or a piece of pie shaped but it kind of tapered down and that cross cut saw it cuts both on the push and the pull and it'll cut all types of wood materials um, or uh, uh, your synthetic wood materials. So like your tracks decking and that kind of stuff, it'll cut all that stuff for you fairly easy. It'll cut uh, all kinds of plastics. So you can, you can, you can cut plastic pipe with it. You could cut the top off of a uh, poly 
uh, 55-gallon drum with it, that kind of stuff. It's a good, diverse saw. Then you get into all these other types of saws. But get yourself just a good carpentry cross-cut saw. Okay. Um, so a good tape measure, good hammer, good cross-cut saw. Um, you want to have a good size flathead screwdriver. When I say good size, it doesn't need to be a foot long, but it needs to be, um, you know, six, eight inches long. It has a really good heavy duty flathead on it. And that flathead screwdriver, obviously for flathead screws, but you'll use it for a lot of other things too. Um, you know, using it to pop the tops off of paint cans or using it to um, uh, separate, you know, different materials. It's almost like a chisel. It's a, it's a real, I'm not one for using the wrong tool for the job, but that flathead screwdriver when you're living off grid can be great for a lot of things. It's not a pry bar though. You need to get what we call a cat's paw. It's a small pry bar that's about eight to 10 inches long. And on one end, it has a flat kind of flat spade that has a slot in it for pulling nails and on the other end it has that same spade but it's bent at a 90 degree angle and that's a cat's paw that thing is for pulling nails for prying for doing all kinds of that kind of work it is handy it's good to have and a what we call a speed square mm. so it's a metal triangular square that has a a flat uh, edge on one side that, that um, comes down on both sides of the square so you can lay it against a piece of material flat and you could draw a 90 or a 45, but you can also use that to draw any angle you want. You can use it to figure out existing angles. So if you're looking at an existing building and you want to know what the roof pitch is, you can use it for that, or you want to know uh, what the, 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 the stair, tread, risers, all that kind of stuff. You can measure all that stuff. You can use it. If you don't have a level, you can use it and a string line to find level on a wall to hang a picture. Uh, there, there is, there's a million and one things you can do with a speed square. And I would tell you for your first kit, you got to have at least one. I have one now. You do. <laughs> we, I always have half a dozen of them. I have one in every toolkit everywhere because it's used for so many things. So let's see, tape measure, hammer, cat's paw, flat blade screwdriver, and a cross-cut saw and a speed square. Now, expanding from that a little bit, a good set of screwdrivers that have multiple sizes of Phillips in there. I was going to ask, I always see these big bundles of different sizes of screwdrivers. So is this a waste of money or is it good to get the bundle? Um, yeah, bundles are interesting. Unless you're buying our, our, our winter box, um, you know, bundles are usually great marking t ways to, to move product that doesn't move as much and include it with product that does move. So when you get these big bundles of screwdrivers, you usually end up with about, I don't know, a handful of them, a third of them that you'll never use because they just not, there's not a lot of uses for them. Okay. But buying a, a bundle package of screwdrivers could be handy. Um, you want to get a good set of Phillips that have, you know, um, uh, three or four different Phillips sizes in there from your standards to ones a little bit bigger and ones a little bit smaller. <clears throat> and, but you don't need the whole big kit. You, you could get it. It's fine. And quality of screwdrivers, uh, yeah, there, there is a difference in quality between, say, Harbor Freight and the, the Milwaukee that you're going to get an ACE or at Home Depot. But I don't know that you're really going to notice a huge difference for the money unless you're really using them all the time and using them a lot. If you're an electrician and you're doing electrical work all day, every day, then you want the best screwdrivers you can get because you're going to end up using them a lot and you're going to wear the tips out and you're going to, uh, and if you wear a tip out, then you're trying to put a screw into a power panel or something like that. And then, it gets frustrating, so it's worth spending the money. So another thing I see bundled a lot would be uh, sets of wrenches. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts on that? Is that something we need or no? Yeah, I mean, again, that's like you're buying a bundle. You're probably going to end up with, with a handful of them that you never need. So in the hand tool category and wrenches, I was going to say, you want a good pair of channel locks. Okay. So a medium size of channel locks. Channel locks are a pair of pliers that you can adjust the the opening of the jaw 
to go from like um, from an item that is say like an eighth inch big up to two inches big. Um, or you can get a pair of channel locks that'll go down to like um, a quarter of an inch or half an inch fitting up to three inches. So it's a good pair of pliers that meet a large variety of fittings, usually for plumbing parts. Um, you can use them on other things, say, um, what's a good example? Um, yeah, nothing comes to mind, but a good pair of channel locks, because uh, inevitably, and we've had this happen at our place recently when we were working on the drip system for the garden yep. this last spring, I needed a pair of channel locks that would fit a four inch fitting and I didn't have a pair. I had no way to tighten that fitting or loosen that fitting. So we had to go to town and get a pair of big channel locks. So a medium sized pair of channel locks is really handy to have in your beginner kit. A medium sized pair of, of, um, of, uh, um, excuse me, crescent wrench. Okay. I don't know why I couldn't think of that. <laughs> An adjustable wrench, a crescent wrench. And here's one of my big pet peeves is like people use crescent wrenches for all the wrong things. <clears throat> and they're, they're, they're not a do it all tool. They're not the tool that saves you from, uh, every single nut and bolt that needs to be loosened or tightened, <clears throat> but they can be handy when you run into situations where it's either metric or it's standard or imperial and and you don't have the right wrench to fit it. So it can be handy to have that crescent wrench. Just don't abuse its um, diversity and use it the wrong way because then you end up stripping nuts and bolts off because you're not using it properly. Um, for that, get a good you know, I wouldn't even say for a homesteader, you need to get a good set of wrenches yet because you're not, wrenches are more for mechanical applications or um, automotive applications. You're not going to find a lot of situations where you're building your homestead or building your house that you need actual wrenches for. Some more like uh, tractor repair, lawnmower repair or something exactly. like that. Exactly. Okay. But the crescent wrench could come in handy where you got to change the blade on your um, skill saw or your track saw, or your um, cutoff saw, and you lose that little pre, that, that little included sheet metal wrench that they, they really kind of suck most of the time anyways, and you end up losing that or uh, something. So a good crescent wrench is handy to have to change the blade on your saw. The channel locks is not handy to have to change the blade on your saw. Right. Again, that's where a situation where you could ruin the nut on your saw trying to use those channel locks if you didn't have now ideally if you had the exact wrench size a box wrench size for the saw and you never lost it that'd be great but having a a pair of um a crescent wrench not a pair of a single crescent wrench is great because it'll fit every saw you possibly have for changing that saw blade out Okay. And I tell you, when you're cutting lumber and you're trying to get a project done and your saw blade's burned up or you're, let's say even more commonly, you're salvaging because a saw blade will last nowadays. You can build a whole house with one saw blade if you're using new lumber. But if you're doing a lot of salvage and you're, you're, you're repurposing lumber that you've gotten from job sites or whatever and you hit a nail or something that you didn't know was there, that saw blade could be toast. Now you can't finish your project because you can't get the saw blade off or put a new saw blade on it. So okay. back to having that crescent wrench, good basic tool. Okay. Um, other hand tools that you really need. So we've got the tape measure, the hammer, the speed square, the uh, flat blade screwdriver, the cat's paw, the um, channel locks, the crescent wrench. Another really good tool to have in there that you should have is a chalk line or a chalk box. Okay. Chalk box is really handy for marking very straight lines on a long piece of material for whether it be for cutting that. So let's say you've, you've got a, a, a large 2x8 or 2x12 and you're out of 2x4s and you need a 2x4 You can and it needs to be 10 feet long. You can hook the chalk line, mark one end of the board, hook the chalk line there, mark the other end of the board, hold the chalk line. You've done this with me. Mm -hmm. And then snap the line, and it's a perfect straight line. Now you can rip that board with your handsaw, and now you have a two-by-four that you need um, and repurpose that two-by-eight that you wouldn't have needed. 
The other great thing is laying out. If you're building walls, so you build your floor and now you want all your walls laid out, you would measure on mark your floor and snap chalk lines all over your floor to stand where your walls stand up. So you know where to put all your walls. If you're ripping a piece of plywood because you built a, say a new shelter for our pigs and we've, we've scavenged all this, this leftover plywood that's in two foot, four foot, six foot sections. And we're putting the roof on our pig shelter. And now I end up where I need a one foot piece or a one and a half foot piece or whatever. I can snap a chalk line and cut that piece of plywood nice and square and perfect and throw it up on the roof and it fits. So a chalk line, chalk box is good to have. I can't think of anything else I'm missing in the hand tools specific to homesteading and carpentry or construction. The only thing, I don't know if this really counts or not, maybe like some sort of razor blade or X-Acto knife. Oh, yes. A utility knife. Yeah, utility yes, knife. Yeah. absolutely. A utility knife to sharpen your carpenter's pencil with or, um, you know, um, all kinds of little things, cutting string and uh, cutting banding on on uh, lumber that you get. I mean, the, yeah, a good utility knife is important to have. Yes. Okay. All right. So I think we've covered hand tools pretty well. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty good starter kit. And honestly, I was going to say too, even if you're not homesteading yet, I mean, I remember, you know, I moved out at 17 and got an apartment and there was stuff I needed just a basic toolbox for. I still have that toolbox. Um, some of the tools have wandered away over the decades in between, but like, um, even if you're not homesteading, if you don't have tools, like it's great to go ahead and get started, get a basic toolkit put together for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so yeah, so moving from hand tools, kind of stepping our way to things that do need some power, um, but more battery powered. So like cordless power tools, maybe instead, you want to talk about some of those that you might think would be good for the homestead? Yeah. So cordless tools, power tools that run on battery or corded tools, which are power tools that you plug into a power supply. Um, if you're homesteading, you're, you're off grid, there are pros and cons to all of them. You got to be able to recharge your batteries. So you got to make a decision. If I have abilities to recharge my batteries, maybe you're, you're, you're off grid. Um, and you run a generator for, for the evenings while you're cooking dinner and doing things like that. And then through the night to charge up batteries and things like that. And then during the day you don't run the generator or vice versa. So having battery or cordless tools can be very handy. Now I've said for a long time, there is no substitute for a corded power tool that eliminates the cord or, or makes it cord like in other words, so it's just like when we're tattooing. I have all these fancy battery-powered tattoo machines nowadays. They have fancy battery-powered drills and mm-hmm. impact drivers and saws and stuff. But when that battery dies, it's dead. And if you don't have the, another battery or a way to charge it right now, you're not finishing your project. So having something that plugs into the wall is still the best option out there. The battery-powered ones are more um, convenience because you don't have a cord in your way. You don't have a cord that you're dragging around. You don't have to run an extension cord from point A to point B, which could be a long ways away, depending on where you're at. Right. So they both have their their place. If you want to talk about corded tools, or do you want to talk about cordless tools right now? Um, let's I, let's kind of step our way up. Let's talk about cordless okay. tools first, and we'll get to the corded ones. Um, cordless tools have come a long way over the years. I can remember... Oh man, it was a long time ago when the first cordless tools came out. That first Makita, that thing was awesome, but it didn't last very long, and it, it didn't have a lot of torque and power. Nowadays, cordless tools have all the torque and all the power that a corded tool has, um, and the batteries last a long time. So they've come a long ways. So you can really trust that you buy a name brand cordless tool. It's going to last you a long time. So you don't have to worry about that. those old batteries. Um, I, I would say to start out, you need a... I would buy a kit. This is the... Did you ask me about screw, screwdriver packages or mm-hmm. kits or wrench kits? And I said, yeah, it's not really a good value or savings in that because you end up with ones you never use. 
But in this case, I would look at buying a kit where you get the drill and the impact driver in the same kit. Okay. So you basically have two. And people refer to these as drills. They're not drills. One is a drill. Actually, technically, one is a drill motor. The other one is a driver or a screw gun or an impact driver. The drill motor is not used for driving screws. And the impact driver or screw gun is not used for drilling holes. And I see this a lot. They are not one of the same tool. And you will end up with less than favorable outcomes. Your, your, your end work will not be as good if you use a screw gun or a screwdriver, an impact driver to drill holes. Or if you use a drill to drive screws. And I can bore you to death with the differences, but I'll keep it really simple. <laughs> All right. So, so an impact driver actually has a ratcheting impacting mechanism that is hammering on the bit as it's driving the screw or the lag bolt or the fastener into whatever material it is. That impacting mechanism, if you put a drill bit and they sell drill bits that fit, specifically fit into those impact drivers with the little hex base that it just clicks right in. And I don't know why they do this because it's, it's the dumbest thing you could possibly do. If you use that drill bit in an impact driver, the drill itself, which is the, the metal tool that cuts the hole, that is not designed to take that impact unless you're using a masonry style bit that's designed for that. But in wood or metal, it's not designed for that. You will break those bits a lot faster or you will have a really terrible hole in wood because it's hammering the drill bit through the wood and tearing it up. If you use a drill motor to drive a screw with a drill, a screwdriver tip in it, that motor doesn't start and stop the same way. So when you pull the trigger, it starts to torque up and it has, it has, it still has RPMs. It's still spinning when you let go of the trigger for a minute. And so you strip heads of screws out with it really easily and you break driver tips with it. So again, they're not designed to be doing these multi-purpose things. So don't buy just a drill motor and then think you can run screws with it and it'll last. You can, but it's not gonna last. You're gonna waste your money, you're gonna ruin a tool, you're gonna avoid a warranty. Don't buy an impact driver or a screw gun and think that you can drill holes with it. You're going to ruin the the drill bits, you're gonna ruin the material you're drilling in. So uh, I remember there's this really big soul guy on social media. He's got like some million followers and he's always building projects and doing stuff. And I love watching his videos. Well, he kept breaking drill bits and he, in these videos, and he's like, oh, I'm getting sick and tired of this. I'm never buying this quality, this brand of drill bit ever again. It's he's drilling in metal to put up a, a metal fence using a impact driver with drill bits. And that's why they're breaking. And I'm like, I wish I could have just reached out to the guy. He probably gets a million um, comments and, comments and yeah. stuff. So I didn't waste my time. But he would have had a lot better if he had the right tool. Right. Makes so a difference. buy yourself a um, combo kit with a drill motor and impact driver or screw gun in it. You'll be a whole lot better off. And usually it's a better price because if you buy just one, you're looking at $150 to $200. But if you buy two, you're looking at like... 250 $2.99, you know, so they, they're usually a little bit less if you buy them as a kit. Okay. Um, Brand-wise, we have both DeWalt and Milwaukee, and they're both great. They both have their pros and cons. They both have, you know, little features that are better in this one than that one. But overall, we've had to do warranty repair on both our DeWalt's and Milwaukee's, and they've both been great. So good companies. You can, yeah. You'll can, you be happy with both quality, both brands. Yeah, I was going to bring that up too, is just that when we sort of combined our households and stuff after we got together, um, now we have so many different batteries because there was also, like you mentioned, Makita, which you don't really use most of those anymore. But like I also had gardening tools that were battery-operated that were Ryobi, and then I brought like some DeWalt stuff. You had Milwaukee stuff. And so 
we end up with like all these different battery chargers. And so would you recommend people maybe research and figure out like one brand to go with to simplify things or what, what do you think? I would love to say that you could pick one brand to go with, but unfortunately <laughs> you're going to end up in a situation where, where one brand over the other comes out with a really new cool option or better tool and you're going to end up buying it and then it's going to be a different battery and a different charger. So I would stick to, to two brands and stick to the two big brands, DeWalt and Milwaukee or between the two of them, they're going to have every tool you could ever possibly need. And the batteries for all the DeWalt's will fit all the DeWalt's and the batteries for all the Milwaukee's will fit all the Milwaukee's and you don't have to worry about interchangeability there. And you only have two sets of battery chargers as opposed to, we have the Ryobi, which is the the chainsaw and yeah. the the weed trimmer and those more gardening outdoor tools that you yeah. brought. And the Makita stuff that I have, I just ended up with a bunch of that stuff. I've never even used it. In fact, I don't have any batteries for it. That's I just have a bunch yeah. of these Makita tools with no batteries. So probably get it, rid of those at some point. Yeah, find somebody who has. Oh, Dave. Dave's a homesteader and he yeah. has a bunch of Makita. There you go. Um, we need to give them to him. Yeah. So. Uh, other cordless tools that could be very handy, but I, I don't think you need at first, is, is some kind of saw. A circular style saw, a saw that spins a blade in a circle. That's great for cutting all kinds of lumber. But then also a reciprocating saw, more commonly referred to as like a sawzall, can be very, very handy in a homestead situation. So you can, if you have your, your hand saw, crosscut saw, then you don't really need the sawzall as much. But if you had the sawzall, you could you, the crosscut saw, the hand saw, or the sawzall, reciprocating saw. You could cut firewood with it. You could cut trees, limbs. You could you could do demolition work where you're you're tearing down an old structure that you want to get moved, or um, or somebody says, "Hey, I got this old structure on my place. You can have all the lumber from it." A sawzall is awesome because you could come in and just saw all that lumber through nails and everything and take it and haul it back to your place to repurpose it. A circular saw is great because you're going to have to rip plywood. You're going to have to rip two-by material for framing and stuff like that. You can't do that with a sawzall. You can't do that with the hand saw. So having some kind of circular saw is great to have. Now, I will say this. There, there are two basic types. There's a traditional style circular saw which I refer to as a left-handed saw because when your hand is on the handle and pulling the trigger, the blade is to the right, which means you have to hold it in your left hand to see your cut or hold it in your right hand and lean over and across your work to see the other side of the blade to make your cut. So then they came out with worm drives way back, like in, in the, the 70s or 80s, Skill, the, the, the company, the brand, Skill Saw, came out with a worm drive saw, which is a circular saw, but the handle, when you're holding it in your right hand, the blade is on the left-hand side. So if you're right-handed, then you can run the saw and see the blade and the mark that you're wanting to cut. Okay. So, so think about that when you buy a circular saw, when you pick it up, are you right-handed or left-handed? When you pick it up at the hardware store, hold it in your right hand and go, can I see the blade and the mark I'm cutting with it? That's the easiest way to know. Okay. Worm drive saws are more expensive because they have more parts to make that feature work. In the corded, cordless world, you can get both of them. We have a worm drive dual cordless saw. Mm -hmm. It only uses like a little like six and a half inch blade. And it's great for just doing all kinds of little stuff. You know, I wouldn't frame a house with it. But you can do all kinds of great little projects with it. I use it a lot because it's a lot easier than getting out the worm drive saw and running a cord. And, you know, uh, and it's a lot lighter. Um, but you can get those, what I refer to as left-handed saws as well in cordless. You can get, um, they come in both. But just think about that. When you buy a circular saw and you hold it in your primary, your dominant hand, the hand you use the most, Where's the blade and can I see the blade and the mark I'm cutting? Because if it's in the wrong hand, it could be really difficult for you in a learning curve. Um, once you get good at it, it's not a problem. I could use either saw, ambidextrous. That's easy. But for a brand new person, it's something really 
to think about. You, you spend $300, $500 on a saw, and then you find yourself struggling to cut a straight line because you can't see the blade and you're leaning over the wood and the saw yeah. kicks back. And Yeah, that doesn't sound like a good time. Yeah. So think about that. Okay. Um, so cordless tools, to recap, buy yourself a good combo kit, drill, impact driver, and use the impact for driving screws and use the drill motor for drilling holes. You didn't ask me why it's called a drill motor and not a drill. You said you were going to keep it short. But okay, but no. ask me because it's All really right. kind of stupid why? and funny. Why did they call it that? Because the drill is the bit that oh, cuts the hole. Okay. That's called a drill. Traditionally, for for since the beginning of drills and then being invented, the drill is the actual tool that cuts the hole. The motor is what drives the bit because they had drill bits before they had motors. Okay. And that we drove them by hand. It was a little T-handle yeah. that went on the top of it and you turned no, it around. Yeah. So essentially the human was the drill the motor. The drill motor, yeah. Okay. So if you're talking to an old school person, if you're talking to a farmer, you're talking to a machinist, you're talking to, you know, somebody, you know, an 80 year old guy, at homesteader, and you ask him, hey, do you got a drill I can borrow? He's going to say, yeah, I got hundreds of them. What size do you need? Mm-hmm. And you're like, I just need, just need one to drill a hole. And he's right. like, yeah, but what size? Yeah. So to save yourself a little embarrassment or confusion, <laughs> the drill is the, the metal that cuts the hole. The drill motor is what turns that. Yeah. I know early on in some of our projects, I'm often like the gopher on the homestead when like Mike's like up somewhere doing something and the kind of hilarious now conversations we'd have when he'd say, you know, go get me the drill or the screw gun or the impact. And I'm like, those are all the same thing. And, <laughs> and you know, I always want to get it right. So I just bring like two or three tools back with me. And I'm like, I don't know which one you want to do. Like, come on, um, here's your options. Tell me which one to hand you. Hey, it's better to have more options and less. Options. So you <laughs> exactly. did great. All right. So that's cordless tools. And we can get into more cordless tools later on, or people can just send us some emails or, or yeah. messages. And, uh, or, you know, if you, if you really want to ask questions, you can always just hit us yeah. up and maybe we can schedule Shoot a phone a call. Yeah. We're always down for that. What other tools? All right. So we've talked hand tools, cordless power tools. I think the big one would be then to follow up with corded power tools. So I'm thinking about the things we use on the, on the homestead. So obviously other types of saws. Do you want to start there? Well, I would just say that your cordless tools and your your corded power tools, they're all the same thing. They they they're all you can get them both in, in either or. So really you just need to decide what is most relevant for you and your application, whether it's corded or cordless. Just make sure you buy a corded or cordless drill to make holes and buy a corded or cordless driver to drive fasteners. Same thing with saws and that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter. It's whatever works best for you. They're available in both options. Yeah. So. Okay. So that's a pretty simple one then. So, and again, like Mike said, we're always happy to dive deeper into this. If you guys have more questions for him, um, I would say for us, but they're really for him if they're about tools. So (laughs) I'm just in charge of the tool budget at this point more than anything. So, um, So I think the next thing and something that popped into my head when we were talking about hand tools and you're talking about the hand saw, which like I have memories of like my grandfather's saws and stuff in his uh, shop up in Maine. So, and my thought was, man, how do we even sharpen those? So tool maintenance, I think is a big thing. And especially for homesteaders where like money is tight, we're far from stores. Like taking care of our tools is so important because we don't want to waste money. And we don't want to waste time having something not be ready to go. So where do we need to start to take care of these tools as we get them? Well, the first thing to take care of your tools is put them away when you're done with them. Great. Clean them and put them away when you're done with them. You you can have that, that hand saw that we talked about and it could last generations as long as you don't leave it outside overnight and it gets rained on or snowed on, or even if it's not raining and snowing, the sun, the sun will just, it, it will ruin the wooden handle on it. It'll suck all the moisture out of it and the finish off of it, and it'll end up falling apart. So really the most important thing in maintenance when it comes to your hand tools and your cordless, corded or cordless tools, your power tools, is to blow all the dust off of them at the end of the day and put them away. Don't leave them laying around everywhere. And I've been super guilty of this because I get into a project and I run out of daylight and I'm like, I'll pick it back up in the morning. 
and I get it, I understand. But at some point, you got to go ahead and clean your tools off and put them away. Don't leave them out all the time. That's the most important thing when it comes to tool maintenance. You're not going to really sharpen most of those blades. I would say that there are some that you can resharpen. Yes, there are. But the the learning curve and all that's not worth it. Take it to a professional person to sharpen it. Our saw our sawmill saw blades, for example, we send those off to a company and they resharpen them for eight dollars a saw blade. And these are huge blades for our sawmill. Yeah. Huge. The amount of time it would take for me to set that jig up and set that sharpener right. up and sharpen it, it would take me an hour to do yeah. one blade. There's and no it, way it's worth it. Yeah, time-wise. exactly. So just send them off to a professional and have them re- resharpened. Other than that, there's really not a lot of maintenance on that end of it. We can get into some specialty tools maybe. I don't know. You think we got time to do specialty tools? Um, I think maybe let's do a second episode for specialty tools um, because I know we can talk more about maybe plumbing and electrical as well. And yes. then also the solar tools, I think, are super relevant for homesteading. Yeah. If you're going to have off-grid and homesteading, you're going to need tools for your generator, for your solar, for your plumbing, for yeah. all kinds of so. Let's make that a second part, part two. And um, I think maybe we can talk about the sawmill and some of the tools that go with that. And Because it's not a tool you're probably going to have right out of the gate with homesteading, but it's something we have found to be super valuable. And then the tools that would go with that, like a planer. So, yeah, I think we can do another episode. I think it would be cool. So Sure. Yeah. All right. And there's a lot more maintenance when it comes into those specialty tools. Definitely. So yeah, we'll, we'll cover that as well. So, um, so knowing that we're going to do a specialty tool episode and really dive into some stuff, if there are specific tools or activities that you want to know about what tools you would need for them on your homestead, feel free to shoot us a message. We'll add it to our notes for that episode as well. Um, and we can make sure that we cover that in the episode for you guys. So, um, Mike, thanks for coming back on the show with us again. Oh, I like <laughs> I like getting to do these episodes. And if you guys aren't following us on social media, as I mentioned, we've changed our name over to Nordic Fox Farm. Our online herb shop is still over on the Fox and Elder website. Um, and that's where you can pre-order our winter herbal box, which has lots of great stuff. And you can get one for yourself and also send one as a gift maybe this year. It'll arrive in time for all the holidays. But yeah, as usual, just thanks for tuning in. We'll be back hopefully soon. We're trying to get back into a better rhythm here, um, especially as we head into winter with getting more episodes out for you guys. Hopefully bringing on some great guests again as well for some more interviews. But until then, keep your hands dirty and your heart open.